0: I don't know if you all were got feedback from me, Andre. You um, we were getting annoyed with the sound of my dryer. Or it could have been comforting. But there was a moment where The rumble and tumble of the dryer just stopped. And there was this silence. This is very similar to the experience that you might have after meditating for a little while. Maybe your first retreat. You don't even realize that the normal day-to-day mind that you have is just noise. It's just a rumble and tumble of noise. And with a little bit of meditation in, a, in the right space and time, you can settle into this place where it just stops. The noise of your mind just stops. And it's, not, it's not permanent at that point. You're not fully enlightened the first time that happens. The first time it happens, when you drop into the space where your, your mind is just quiet. And that doesn't mean the absence of thinking, it just means moving into a different space. It's shocking. It's shocking that it can be that quiet. and thousands of years, this tradition that we have inherited these teachings from, from India, people have been practicing this and discovering this silent place in their minds where the noise doesn't come in. And you have to somehow trust that sitting down for half an hour or going on a week-long retreat where you don't talk to anyone and you're just sitting eight hours a day, somehow have to trust that that's going to work, that it's going to do what they say. But when you're really miserable, you're willing to try anything. So if you've struggled like I have with periods of depression or anxiety or anything. Physical chronic pain, unfulfilled relationships, brokenheartedness, the loss of a loved one. Whatever it is you've experienced in your life, it might get to a point where you just turn to something because you have no choice and you're willing to try anything. And so part of the initial trust or the initial part of faith is, well, kind of being desperate. I guess I'm willing to have faith in these teachings because they seem to be pretty reasonable. If you meditate, do these things, perhaps I will get enlightened. Perhaps I will find this nirvana that has been practiced and discovered by so many people before me. I mean, there must be something to it if it's continued for 2,500 years and people continue to do these meditation techniques. There must be something to it. There must be a way of eradicating suffering if that's what everyone is claiming it does. There must be something that is called enlightenment to experience. Otherwise, people wouldn't carry the tradition on. So if you're intrigued and it piques your interest, what is this enlightenment? Unconditional happiness, getting in touch with the true nature of mind, the true nature of reality. Knowing that it's possible, or believing, having some little amount of faith that it's possible, you enter the spiritual path. And you have to trust something or someone. So maybe just for this moment, you're trusting me who have guided you through this or to be talking like I'm talking, that something of what I'm saying is true and valuable and relevant for you in your life. Some of what I'm saying is probably filtered through my own ignorance. But I've inherited these teachings from people that inherited it from people before them all the way down the line and I put them into practice. And I have more belief and faith in them than I ever have because of what they've allowed me to experience. But this is not a typical religion. It's not like, okay, there is this God and you should believe in it. And don't, no one's seen him. We don't really know what it is, but you should believe in it anyway. And if you're dealing with the difficulty of life, and you're afraid, and you have no choice, like this desperation, and you encounter a religion like that, you might be tempted to just say, okay, I have faith. I'll start speaking in tongues, and I'll believe in this otherworldly God, that everything's going to be taken care of for me by this God. And if anything, over time, your fear just gets enmeshed in that and you just keep believing, and things don't necessarily change for you. And your faith is very superficial and fragile because it's based on fear, and it's based on some listening to what someone else is telling you to believe. So in Buddhism, it's slightly different. It's to say, yes, initially you have to have faith that there's something to these teachings, that there is this state of mind of nirvana that you can achieve, that you can understand total peace, that you can find contentment and balance, and you're not necessarily going to feel it right away, you do have to have a level of blind faith, like, okay, I guess I'll try this, I guess I'll sit still for half an hour, I mean, or I'll go on a retreat, and so that aspect of it is still a little bit blind. But where this practice is different is that ultimately you're given what's called a psycho-spiritual technology. You're given a tool not to just keep at the level of blind faith and dogmatic belief. We don't want to just keep you there. Buddhism and mindfulness is about giving you an actual experience of this transcendental reality of God, or whatever you call it. It's a mystical path. It's a mystical experience. So you believe, you take faith just to a certain degree where you start the practice, and then faith becomes a whole new thing. It becomes about finding confidence in yourself and trust in the present moment. We've talked about this in the past, that you can trust that what's happening right now is exactly what needs to be happening right now. You can trust that even when you're in deep suffering, when you're at the threshold of hell, like when your mind is telling you things that are the most painful things that you've ever thought, that in that moment, you can actually see the moment for what it is and step outside of it. You can actually see that thoughts are not facts. Thoughts are just churning constantly. 99% of them are not facts. And yet you've trained yourself to believe all of them. So in those moments when you can see that a thought is just a thought, and you don't have to react to it, you're free. And as that disentanglement process continues, real faith develops. Real faith in not only the practice, but in your own path, in your own self, you begin to feel faith. And there's no fear in this faith, there's no dogma, there's no authority. There's no putting this on someone else. This real faith that starts to develop comes directly as a fruit from your own practice. That's the difference. That's that's one of the key differences between Buddha Dharma and your typical kind of dogmatic religion. That everything is designed to help you find trust and confidence in yourself and in the present moment of what you're experiencing. And if you're not doing that and you're simply living, even if you take Buddhism as dogma and you say, well, okay, these are the four noble truths and this is this is that, that's not really being a Buddhist. That's not really practicing. Mindfulness practice is about ultimately getting you to let go of all cultural and religious trappings and finding a place in your mind that is completely quiet that completely fine. Yeah. yeah. Please. But I
1: have had trains for the country. And I didn't recognize those dreams. I so we just have steps trying to figure out which one are just my imagination going and which ones are actually. not to use cannabis at night because they know that cannabis What? What am I actually seeing? Can it make sense of the badness I don't know. But I just think the light. So having those glimpses, um, I don't think it feels kind of like like I just just can't tell. I don't know. I feel like you know, just now through our meditation, I definitely saw a lot of things. you You know, things that were positive. For about a week now, I just of it right now, because, um, you know, going to therapy and this some today, it's amazing, do a lot of work to go through and process through the things that you instead of trying to do like, of my realization pain, which are just fine.
0: Let me clarify the thoughts are not facts and then maybe we'll offer one suggestion. Um, Like I said, 99% of your thoughts are not facts. So any thought that makes you unhappy is probably not a fact. So the thoughts that say, uh, this will never go away or I'm worthless, or yeah, any any of those sort of like ruminative thoughts are often taken as fact by the mind, which creates emotional patterns like depression or anxiety or OCD or whatever, just fear. And we've trained ourselves to essentially believe those, or when we're thinking those thoughts. We're stuck inside of our head, and that seems like that's true or real. And then we can't, they, they continue to be intrusive when we can't seem to shake them. And we believe them, and then we tend to perpetuate those things by creating external realities that reinforce them. So if we like learned when we were eight years old that we're bad at math, Then we started believing that we're bad at math, and then underneath that, it's because, oh, I think I'm stupid. And then we seek out experiences and situations that just keep reinforcing that. And then maybe, like, you discover when you're 29 and you meditate and you realize, oh, that's just a thought. I'm not actually bad at math. It was just that one moment that I was embarrassed in front of the teacher that. Has set the course of my whole math career, when or my whole like intellectual career, when had I simply not taken that thought as a fact, I would have been free to explore way more options, right? Whatever the belief is, even if your fundamental belief is nobody will ever love me, or I'm worthless, or we all harbor some of these sort of really unfriendly thoughts about ourselves, that's gonna just in fact, and influence everything that we do in our life and the choices that we make because it's it's working un- subconsciously, right? So that's what I mean. It's like fundamentally most of the thoughts that we have that create suffering are just not facts. And so meditation allows us to watch those things, to watch those thoughts, and to not react to them in the conditioned way that we have them. So, hey, Louie. How are you? Yeah, just cool, welcome. Um, So, to see that thought, and rather than react to it in the way that we always react to it, meditation gives us those few extra seconds to pause, to see the thought, and to choose a different path, like a choose a different reaction, rather than the same way we've been conditioned to react to that. So, that's a kind of general approach to what meditation is offering for why our thoughts are not facts? Is that helpful to you or to anyone else to clarify that? And then the other piece is, so I don't wanna discourage you from uh, exploring dream interpretation or versions of like seeing the future and things like that, because a number of people Will have those experiences, and people that are particularly sensitive, like in the, in the best sense of that term, will have certain skills, right? So there are certain things that come up if you if you really uh, cultivate your meditation. There have been many stories in the Buddhist tradition where people were able to read other people's minds, um, you know, a certain level of supernatural abilities where you can see your own past lives or you could see other own people's own, past
1: lives. I'll tell you these momentum things that happened when I started meditating. I right. wasn't aware of any of these things. I didn't ask for any of these things. But they just happened. And right. it was like when I started meditating it was like how I had thought something and part of me because of the person like such a thing. I was trying to figure it out. You know, with the Bowser Bible trying to try to evolve <laughs> oh, I mean, right. I just became just trying to figure out, you know, the mind, when reality, you know, I, can, but I can't, but catching glimpses
0: of what could be. Right, and that that's the piece is when the, so the the Buddha actually warned about this, and he discouraged his community from practicing like soothsaying and telling the future and astrology and all of these things um, because there's a danger in them and the danger being that if the ego gets involved with these things like there's been times where maybe i had i had the belief that i had some special power right let's say that and then the question is where's the intentionality behind that that special power if it is it actually coming from a selfless, compassionate place? Can I actually genuinely help another person and their suffering with that skill? Or is that like, oh, cool, I've got this new skill um, that you know, I must have been blessed with something, something, whether it's telling the future or uh, having lucid dreaming or whatever, is, you know, reading other people's minds, whatever the skill is. And a lot of those things can happen in the course of one's meditation practice. But in the practice that I come from, a lot of that, it's not discouraged if, it, if it's arising, but it's to be skeptical about it as it arises, because it's very easy to get caught up in this not only image of yourself as having some special power, but also of possibly using that in a way that's, that's not actually helping anybody. So. You can observe it and don't you don't push it away if you if you have images or you have visions of certain things or you connect with let's say you have a spiritual a dream where you connect with a spiritual being like the dalai lama visits you in a dream let's say like that's great you should be very happy that the dalai lama has visited you in a dream or if you're walking down the street and you see something or you think something and it it happens or if you're talking to a person and you say something and they're like oh my gosh you just read my mind because like it's very possible that you will gain these skills. Meditation is quite powerful. And if you believe in these sort of extrasensory experiences, they can happen. But all of that has to be taken within the context of like the ethical approach to, well, what are we actually doing here? Which is we're ending suffering in a compassionate way. And if you use those skills towards that end, it's probably many, many, many years where the intention is purified enough where you can actually use those skills to help people. Because when you first gain access to those skills, it's going to be tied up in ego, and it's going to be potentially really dangerous. So that's all I would say. If you feel any of you um, in the course of your meditation have gained access to some special skill like reading people's minds or seeing the future or being able to transport yourself or um, to see other people's chakras or whatever it is, um, wait before you use those skills until you feel like you can be very clear about where that. Intention is coming from. That's the only like disclaimer that you put on it. But they can happen. All of those things can happen. There was a um, teacher. Her name is Deepama, who could experience her past lives and uh, perhaps you can even choose your future rebirth. If there are certain karmic patterns that you work on in this life, you could possibly ensure that the next time you're born into a body that you might even be able to design the way that you look. what skills you have, or what, what, where you were born. Um, but all of these potential things, these beliefs, these are, just to bring it back to the main idea, um, you don't need to believe in any of those things, and some of them are a bit of a stretch. And you don't have to have this blind faith in reincarnation or any of these things that come from Buddhism. There's actually a book called Buddhism Without Belief to reinforce the idea that all you have to do is just keep paying attention to the present moment and everything will become clear to you. And ultimately, it isn't about having any special power other than being at ease in the present moment and responding compassionately to those around you, um, which is a very simple and humble way of being as well. Um, and that cultivation of that experience is the development of of faith, faith in the simplicity of the present moment. So that's what I like about this practice: is that on the one hand, you're tapping into very highly refined levels of consciousness, similar to what you might experience, you know, in a high like psychedelic state, um, all day long, but Still, you have to do the dishes, and you have to be nice to people, and you have to, you know, pay the bills. And so balancing those things and never forgetting the simplicity of the present moment, I think that's where um, this faith comes from. So, if no one has any other questions, we can wrap up. Alright, guys. It's really,
1: good. Bye.
0: Good night. Good night. Thanks for coming. Hey, be well, everyone.
1: Good night. Stay cool. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye bye. Bye bye.